are you going to take the house? The hand of God? No, the fist of man. I'm Colin. I'm Kelsey. And tonight we are going to go back to Series 2, Episode 2, which is, of course, the Tooth and Claw episode. <laughs> I, I think it's more like, oh, <laughs> Werewolves I, of London. I, I gotta say, I didn't see a whole lot of claws, but the teeth of that wolf thing were pretty gross. Oh, man, he had massive claws. I love the depiction of the werewolf in this story. Yeah, the scratching on the floor and the walls. Yeah, and at least relative to anything that the PBC puts out, you know, at least in this time frame, pretty impressive CGI, I think. Yeah, it really is. It was, but it's very dated now. So I, going back and seeing it now, it's obvious that it's CGI'd in. But yeah, I guess it, it's certainly better than anything classic Who would have probably produced. I mean, it's no Sladeen, but... <laughs> oh, God, that's worse. But um, to go to the beginning of this episode, I thought, when I first saw the, the beginning of this episode with the whole monk, uh, the, the, the uh, killer monk sequence where they go flying through the air like uh, crouching tiger, hidden dragon kind of-esque, they, I was like, is this really Doctor Who? Are we actually watching the right thing here? And then, of course, the theme song comes on. I'm like, oh... Well, that was a different opening. Yeah, we thought that it looked like they were disguised as plague doctors, you know, fitting, you know, today's era. Yeah, I was, like, as soon as the first scene started, I started going, bring out your dead. <laughs> Very Monty Python. But, of course, then they take off those robes, bright, beautiful orange, you know, ready to take some staffs and to um, jump more impressively than any human individual I've seen in quite some time. And they weren't yeah, aliens. That's... They were just monks. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was it was really well done. As a matter of fact, for its time, or for any Doctor Who story, it was just kind of it was a little bit out of place. But at the same time, it was really cool. Yeah, they never really addressed why they were like secret ninja monks. Well, I mean, if they had changed their whole purpose to defend the wolf, then I guess they learned some sort of you know martial arts. But what I don't get is why would the an alien species be affected by our moon. Or maybe moons in general, just the right lighting. I mean, who knows, honestly. It was obviously an Asgardian because mistletoe was an issue. Well, they, they suggested that it wasn't actually, that he just got conditioned to think that it was. Well, burned him. Yeah, when was he, he, was he truly a werewolf or was that some sort of a conditioning? Is he in any shapeshifter type of guy? Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, like, the importance of the moon, it just didn't, like, they never even tried to offer an explanation for it. And I think that's the beauty well, of a lot of this stuff. You don't need, 
you know, you throw in some monks, you, you know, throw in some werewolves, you get knighted, then you get immediately thrown out of the kingdom afterwards. It, it doesn't need to, you know, it can contradict a little bit, but <laughs> some fun stuff. Well, uh, I think the idea here, though, is that this was supposed to be the werewolf legend. And so parts of the legend probably have to be utilized. Uh, well, yeah, I just felt like it, it, it needed an explanation. Even just a quick rush through doctor talking about it would, you know, have helped. Well, I guess, it, I guess the idea is that if you already know that werewolves change or they change from human form to the werewolf form in Moonlight, I think that's probably a decent amount of explanation. I mean, we I think the idea was the concentration on Queen Victoria and the diamond and figuring out where that was going to go. Yeah, well, I think maybe what Shelby means is why did the moonbeam kill him? Well, it was the oversaturation of the moonbeam well, at the yeah, end. But I mean, it, just, it Although, seems like moonbeams had a lot of power that, you know, was never really explained <laughs> at all. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that. You know, you stick in the werewolf, you get the general sci-fi connection, and you let it ride out. I, I don't think it was very well explained I mean, let, let, let's even go with Vampires of Venice, one of the worst episodes ever, where they talk about vampires, and they at least explain, oh, they're actually alien fish, and they... That's why they don't like the sun, because it dries them out. You know, that's why they have to, you know, deal with blood, because they're doing that to, you know, convert people or whatever. Like, they they didn't come up with necessarily good explanations, but at least they came up with something. Yeah, I guess you're right. I mean, they. I guess in this particular episode, it could have been explained a bit more. But then again, maybe the idea was that they just couldn't think of a good explanation for the, in the first place. <laughs> Well, I think that's probably what it was. Or yeah. if you didn't think it was as important as, like, the mistletoe explanation and things like that. Because that's what I was thinking. Yeah. I mean, I was always under that impression. Yeah. I, I did like the whole um, Rose and the Doctor having a bet going on whether she could get Queen Victoria to say we are not abused. That, that was pretty funny um, little arc in there. Yeah. Uh, Five quid? No, ten quid. Okay, sold. <laughs> the, the, it's kind of unusual for the doctor to have that kind of a relationship with a companion, but now we kind of are seeing a kind of budding intimacy between Rose and the doctor. Probably not that she didn't really have as much with Christopher Eccleston's doctor. Well, her, I feel like her relationship with Eccleston was a little more serious. This one is a lot more playful and like it's like joking around and it makes the doctor seem like a younger person whereas Eccleston always seems like kind of old and weathered and yeah, this beaten is, down by life. Yeah, this is definitely an evolved doctor from seasons past. I would agree. And I think, um, and, and David Tennant plays it quite well. I mean, he does play the younger at heart doctor um, quite well. Matter of fact, it kind of is a throwback to John Pertwee and Tom Baker because they always were saying, "Well, you always have to be childish sometimes," or and have and they love having that childlike quality about them. So mm-hmm. David Tennant kind of utilized that. That's interesting because David Tennant modeled his off of Peter Davidson because, in his opinion, Peter Davidson was the one who became the young heart doctor and who was obviously after John Pertwee and Tom Baker. 
Well, yeah, I mean, Davison I mean, I agree with is you, there's a lot of parallels, but it's it's interesting that David Tennant didn't seem to see those when he, you know, based his character. Well, yeah, I mean, Davison obviously had some childlike qualities as well and childish qualities. I mean, a lot of the arguing on his in his TARDIS with multiple companions that sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just one of those things where you've got. Um, I mean. It, any one of those three doctors would work in that particular realm because all three of them had their moments where they were just like playful, childish, silly. I mean, in John Pertwee's very first episode, he acts like a kid when he tries to take off in the TARDIS and the brigadier catches him and he just sulks down and says, oh, I can't get away. Oh, no. <laughs> it's just so cute. Yeah. yeah. There's some other throwbacks in this episode, too, in, in another vein for sure, but um, the actress here that qu- played Queen Victoria we just saw through scrolling through our Amazon Prime connections actually came back and was an, uh, a, a, an, epi- an, an actress in Doctor Who way back with the first Doctor. Yeah, played Samantha Briggs um, in The Faceless Ones. Yes, she was the... Um that's the Wasn't second she, doctor. I yeah, I think I remember her character. I think I remember her character. Uh, that that was a long time ago. It was. But it was also a throwback because in that episode was um, Jamie McCrimmon, who the doctor yep. claims to be at the beginning of this episode. What I think is yes. cool about the title of this episode, the faceless ones is that a lot of this footage was lost, you know, through the ages. <laughs> so we really don't have the faces of these people. A lot of them were animated in the stories that we have today. <laughs> it's, it's quite ironic. I doubt it was intended that way. But. Sure Actually, I think Samantha Briggs does exist in episode three of The Faceless Ones. Uh, I think you do get to see her in that particular episode. Oh, and good. that still exists. Um, but yeah, that was definitely a, an obvious throwback. I, I love throwbacks. They're fun. Well, then, of course, uh, Torchwood, sort of a throw forward, I suppose. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, Foreshadowing. Queen, Queen Victoria, you know, established the Torchwood Institute to investigate these sort of things. Interestingly enough, uh, of course, Torchwood is an anagram for Doctor Who. If you rearrange the letters of Torchwood, you get Doctor Who. Uh, that, they did that on purpose. Always trying to pull a fast one on us at so, BBC. So we were trying to figure out when exactly did Torchwood air? Because it definitely it aired in 2006. Was it like at the same time as this season? Do you know? I think it was like right around the same time as this season. Because uh, if you remember, the Christmas invasion is when the Doctor loses his hand. And in Torchwood, the, Captain Jack recovers the hand. I'm pretty sure these two kind of went hand in hand. So, (laughs) you see what I did there. Um, But yeah, uh, no pun intended, right? Um, The, uh, but yeah, Torchwood basically was written pretty much at the same time as Series 2, which kind of makes sense because that's when they've introduced Torchwood in both series. Kind of important to introduce Torchwood in Torchwood. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Right. But you, but it was the first series of Torchwood, is what my point was. So you get to you introduce both of them at the same time. Russell must have been really, really busy around 2006 at this point. Yeah, it seems so. Like just in this episode, I, I know I mentioned it quickly on the fly, but I thought it was kind of a jarring contradiction where 
you know, Rose and the doctor were getting knighted. And then it was a shuffle of maybe a minute or so where they were getting banished because they, <laughs> they deal with the dark arts and, and magics. Yeah. But I felt like a very she was rough trying, transition. To, trying to get rid of them because she knew she was bitten, is my thought. Yeah, that would make a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, quick switcheroo, though. And she was not amused by them, so... <laughs> yeah. I, I do think it was kind of funny, the whole, um, you know, claim that werewolfism is actually the hemophilia that Queen Victoria spread throughout the world, essentially. Well, it may be also why she sent them away. It wasn't because she wanted them banished. They actually saved her. But at the same time, they were the only ones who knew that she could possibly have been bitten. So sending them away was a good way of covering that up. That's yeah. exactly what Kelsey just said. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> and also, if true, today we may be dealing with some real werewolves in our hands. So be careful walking those streets yeah, at night. Coronavirus. At least around the full Another moons. Coronavirus, another code name. Yeah, <laughs> coronavirus, lycanthropy, you know, more or less the same thing. Yeah. Maybe. We know... It does attack the lungs. <laughs> well, I also wanted to point out that the creepy monk guy is also the creepy monk guy. <laughs> kind of monk guy in Game of Thrones that locks Daenerys into the house of the undying and tries to steal her dragon. So he tends to like to lock queens up in houses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't mythological creatures. <laughs> I haven't seen this friend in in many other things, but definitely he's in the, the fantasy mythical creature. I, I suppose here in sci-fi realm. That crazy monk guy is known as Father Angelo in this, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Angelo got taken out by the queen. I yes, he's played by Ian it. Hanmore. <laughs> if you ever like wanted to know. They didn't do a very good job of, like, hiding who they were when they were sitting at the dinner and started, like, chanting about the moon. Yeah, I think by that point they didn't care. Yeah, I don't think they cared at that point. Like the moon was up and they, had, they were in position. It was their time to shine. Yeah. Talking about shining, I thought that the um, Lady Isabel was kind of an interesting character. She was, uh, she actually was very, uh, she was kind of smart in this episode where she kind of observed the fact that you could uh, uh, take the mistletoe and, and use it to your advantage. <laughs> My, like, like, you gotta uh, forgive us for laughing, but as Kelsey was watching this episode, she was like, does Michael love Isabel? Lady Isabel, because I was like, because there were some scenes where she was just the worst actor ever, and I was like, I bet Michael loves her. <laughs> Um, I wouldn't say that I love her. I wouldn't say that I love her, but I would say sure, that sure. I would, um, that, uh, I mean, I like the fact that she actually stood up and did something other than just crouch in the corner the whole time. Uh, that was, that was, I mean, a little bit better. I mean, her husband was actually very honorable too. He actually sacrificed his life. Yeah. Sir, um, Which, Sir Robert. I mean, I was surprised at how violent those deaths were because I feel like usually when people die in Doctor Who it's like they get zapped and turned to dust and this was like you could hear like their bones getting crunched on and like goo coming out well and here's the thing is that I mean with both Sir Robert and Captain Reynolds who wanted to be honorable it was like 
it, there's something honorable in also saving your own life so that you can continue fighting with the people that are there because you're better in numbers than if you just get picked off one at a time. That was my thought. Yeah. Right. Well, am I? This is kind of a different subject, but when Rose was having the conversation with the werewolf, and he was like, "Oh, you've also seen the wolf, like you've been devoured by the sun or something." That confused me. That was totally about Rose becoming the bad wolf after she absorbed the time vortex. And, uh, you know, she described uh, it as being like her head was burning and, uh, you know. So do you think that it's related to... Oh, yeah, I think it absolutely is. All, all the all the comments related to Rose and any sort of wolf are all going to be related to the whole bad wolf thing. Yeah, at well, the very yeah, least, I mean, there are two bad wolves in this episode. <laughs> well, and I was also wondering if, like, this wolf species is somehow able to see it or related to whatever the time vortex is. Maybe it, I mean, they might be related to the, the Gelf because those, the, you know, the one girl who was influenced by the Gelf in like the episode with Charles Dickens and everything saw the big bad wolf in Rose. Sounds like some loose speculation and conjecture. Yeah. So, well, so it sort of seems like all, Alien species who have some sort of psychic capabilities tend to be more able to recognize that type of thing. Yeah, but she, it's not like she was actually a wolf or anything. It was just like a code word. Yeah. So it's not like she had wolf characteristics. or So it's kind of weird that something that didn't know about the code name would relate it to wolf if there wasn't some sort of like... Well, well remember that Rose spread bad wolf across all of time and space to try to send herself a message. So... It could have gone all sorts of places that she never went. Maybe it created this bad wolf. <laughs> it's her son. <laughs> or maybe her moon. <laughs> Michael's like, I want to say. <laughs> Me neither. What, what, do we not, what do we not cover here? What, what are we missing in this episode? I wish Rose had put on that pretty dress. Yeah, she didn't quite get there, did she? No, I think that would have been interesting to see see another period dress come out. I was kind of glad because I was thinking about it and I'm like, you know, people back then probably only had like four dresses and if she had worn it, she either would have like destroyed it in the chase or left with it on and that poor woman would have been without one of her four dresses. And a personal bias, this time period just irks me. So, you know, <laughs> keeping the modern clothes okay by me. Well, it was a pretty terrible outfit. <laughs> That's true. I won't. I won't deny that. Uh, it's, it's hard to pull off jean overalls. Although it was kind of funny how they were all like, "Oh, she's naked." <laughs> yeah, for 2006, that was very covered up. <laughs> oh yeah, she was definitely like showing some ankle. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I like the uh, the story behind uh, Sir Robert's father and how he was friends with Prince Albert and and their the whole backstory that a lot of what takes place in the story actually is not seen um, and it's all a bunch of events that lead up to this like the making of this what looks like a telescope but really is more of a, uh, a, a contraption that focuses the moonlight yeah and then, of course, the, the diamond, which is, I think, the reason why Prince Albert kept cutting it may be so that it could be used for its intended purpose. Ah. But, man, they could have, you know, 
done it in glass or something to make it look slightly diamond-like. I suppose. <laughs> I'm, I mean, I don't know what they used. Uh, it looked. They used plastic? I, it looked like plastic. I mean, I thought it could be glass. I, I wouldn't say it pulls off a diamond, but you <laughs> yeah. know. Um, I like the werewolf, so, you know, do, do what you can with the budget. And, you know, yeah, fair point. Trade-offs, I'm sure, exist. At, the, at times, I noticed that the music kind of overran the voices a little bit, so it was harder to understand what some people were saying. Not that I didn't like the music, but it was just that it, it overpowers. And sometimes when that happens, it takes away from the enjoyment of the actual listening to people. <laughs> right. And yeah, isn't BBC government TV? Like, they should have access to the crown jewels, right? <laughs> <laughs> One would hope. <laughs> Not. <laughs> All right. Well, it sounds like we're about ready to get into ratings. All right. Well, I, I will surge forward with my rating. Um, I enjoyed this episode, but honestly, for no particular reason. I, I just thought it had good pacing. I liked their monster of the week. Um, I enjoyed some of the witty banter that took place. Um, for whatever my personal bias uh, may be, I, I, this time period does irk me. So that may hold me back in my ranking and, and rating here. Um, but for me, this episode was pretty solid. Um, it was like very uh, Russell T. Davies-esque of the D- David Tennant era. And I'm going to give this a solid 7 out of 10. Good episode, not great, but solidly good. Kelsey. Um, I agree with a lot of what Colin said, except for I actually do like this time period. And I always kind of like the historical episodes more than like the futuristic or spacey ones so I immediately liked this one um I like the mythology of like the werewolf and I think I don't know just when it it comes you come into an episode and there's already kind of a context around the monster then you can like spend more time developing the side characters and like the plot and things like that you don't have to focus so much on the monster itself so I I thought that the acting was pretty good it was the pacing was great. Um, it was fun to see Rosa's relationship with the doctor kind of moving past like the awkward getting to know you phase into like a real like friendship, like chumming around kind of adventure. So I'm going to give this one an eight. All right. Um, so I did really love the whole sequence when uh, Queen Victoria starts talking uh, about her husband and stuff. I thought that, that was very touching. Um, also, like I like it's been mentioned before, um, you know, I liked the you know sort of growing relationship between Rose and the Doctor and sort of lightheartedness there. But all in all, I would say that this story, like plot, didn't really make a whole lot of sense. The whole thing that, you know, I talked about earlier with the werewolf and the moon thing not matching. And then also the concept of the, this is a creature that, you know, can transcend bodies and comes from another planet and, you know, seems to have all this power. But he wants to be on Earth and take over the Queen of England. It just <laughs> sort of didn't quite mesh and if he was that into bloodlust why not go after a general or someone a soldier or something rather than someone who sits and directs things from afar it seemed kind of kind of dicey and largely it it, it didn't yeah there was there was just wasn't a lot of substance there I mean it was entertaining um but 
that, 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 that was about it. And I will, I think I'm going to give this one a 5.5 out of 10. Oh, wow. That's another one where the doctor fails to get out of the UK. <laughs> That's true. Although he was trying to get into the 1970s Earth at the beginning of this episode, which is one thing we did not really mention. And he ended in the 1870s. They used, yeah, I know. They used a, a song from the Blockheads, I believe, in the actual soundtrack, so that was kind of interesting. Um, I I don't know, Shelby. You seem to be the only one that, that, that seems to be taking this a little bit more seriously than everybody else. I, I don't think that werewolves need a whole lot of explanation. We already have an established history with them, as Kelsey pointed out. And, yeah, it would be interesting to, to know why Moonlight is such an important aspect to uh, a werewolf-like creature, which of course is now an alien creature as we now know. But again, I don't think it really had much to do with the story. The story was focusing on uh, Queen Victoria, Prince Albert, and uh, Sir Robert's estate. And so I think that's where most of the action took place, and it's also where most of the plot took place. It wasn't an, an over... It wasn't a complicated plot, which... I think sometimes when you get later into Stephen Moffat's era, sometimes they get a little bit overly complicated if you want to just sit back, relax, and enjoy something. But, I mean, it is what it is. I think it's a solid story. I don't think it's the greatest story from this season or series. Um, And I I do agree with Kelsey. Some of the acting was a little bit, eh, eh, with some of the side characters. But even that, when I said that I, I was like some of these side characters are actually doing more than just sitting there looking scared, that was a little bit more helpful. So I don't know. I, I, I'm going to give this a 7 out of 10. I, I agree with Colin. It seems to be a, it's a classic basic tale, classic Doctor Who story. Kind of fits the whole monster of the week. So yeah, yeah, I, was I, right. I would like to uh, do a counterpoint on one of the things you mentioned. Uh, towards my uh, review of it Whoa. is I, I think that if this were a fantasy show or movie, then it I is. would have no problem with, you know, werewolves having no explanation other than they're werewolves, but it's not, it's sci-fi. The whole point is that there's supposed to be some sort of scientific explanation for it. And you can't just like halfway throw that out. You know where they did that also kill the moon. When the moon turned out to be a giant egg and a dragon popped out of it and laid another egg the same size of it right away, that made no sense whatsoever. And people were up in arms about it because it was like, right. basically, oh, it was magic. This episode, I felt like it was a lot like that. The villain, it's a werewolf. Eh, it's magic, whatever. But werewolves, dragons, magic. Well, but, but they here's the thing is that I don't know. Oh, like, sorry, Kelsey. Obviously... It only changed in the moonlight, so I feel like, like you can, like some things are kind of implied, and it's like, well, obviously this creature, whatever it is, it becomes more powerful in the moonlight, and I felt like that was like pretty well established. And what else do you really need other than like why? The, well, well, like any well, creature, like any alien, is going to have some sort of things that happen, like. And it just happens to do better in the moonlight than other times, you know. Well, I mean. You know, it it just doesn't quite ring. Because, like, let's be honest, most planets have more than one moon. So if we're talking about a certain amount of light, the amount of sun reflection, the suns are generally different. Most 
suns are actually binary star systems. So having that, having five moons and stuff, it would be a totally different scenario on its own planet. And which might make more sense. Maybe it's not rage rampaging all about when you have more distributed light and moon patterns. I think part of this is that they couldn't come up with a great answer, but they left it open enough that, you know, you could try to piece together something in your own mind. They should have come up with an answer of some sort or waited until another writer could think of something better. There's also the idea, though, that you can leave the idea that concept up to the eye of the beholder. You, the person that's receiving all the rest of the story can make it up in their own head. And sometimes leaving those things open is not a bad thing. Oh, and I to be fair, Doctor Who is both science fiction and very much fantasy. Yeah. I mean, but it's, some I agree, of the things, some of the concepts are very science-based, but there are some very fantastical things going on in this program. It's a cop-out, but, you know, it's done to be fun and and move things along without getting too much in the weeds. There's definitely a trade-off there, but, you know, it is what it is. I mean, there's plenty, like, all the historical things are going to leave things that are unexplained, you know? Well, yeah, but to have the main point of the plot, the main villain of the story, be completely unexplained just is a big hole. I mean, in a universe where magic does not exist, you can't just be like, oh, something happened and we have no reason for it. But I feel like oh, there's plenty of episodes of Doctor Who where magic happens and it never does get explained and it's kind of like part of the, like, maybe the Doctor doesn't always know what's going on because, I, I mean, I'm trying to think of another episode where it happens, but I know there was well, one recently I mean, we were talking about where it was like, it was kind of magic, and like I'm thinking, even if we it. use your own example, like of the vampires of Venice, it's like, oh, they're aliens, and that's how they be. It's how it's happening. I feel like in the same way, it's like this is the alien. That's how it is, and maybe that's why we have these legends of werewolves. Oh, I know which one I was thinking of. It's the one, the Frankenstein one, where the uh-huh. ghost, and it's just kind of like, oh yeah, we never explained the ghost. What was the ghost? And then you know, so there have been plenty. And all of them actually seem to take place in England, but... Well, okay, but, but, in, but in that one, it was also sort of, like, specifically addressed for a, we're leaving this mystery to the imagination. They do another one with Santa Claus of, ooh, is Santa Claus real at the end or whatever? But those are all ones that they, like, intentionally point out of, we're doing this on purpose to add an air of mystery to things, rather than, we didn't bother to think this through all the way. I guess. I, I don't think it was really necessary to think it through all the way. I think that we had the establishment of the werewolf, and I think that was... That's where that's probably where the writer was thinking at the time, is that we already know what werewolves are. We don't have to go into everything about them. But who knows? I don't know what he was thinking. I think Russell T. Davies did write this one, didn't he? I'm not sure. I saw his name there in the credits, you know, who knows how involved he was or if he wrote the whole thing or had the, you know, producing credit, but um, either way, it does sound like he was a busy man in this era, <laughs> and then maybe Yes, yes he was, and yes, he did write it. So, yep. Well, thanks Mark for him. joining us for another virtual session of the Whovian Review. I, I hope you're all staying safe and sane out there. Yep, and you can follow us on Facebook as usual. Send, send us a comment or send us your thoughts on, on this episode if you'd like. We'd love to hear from you. We have the time to reply. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Bye. Adios. <laughs>